Hey everyone, before we jump in, Miles and I are so grateful for all of your support and we want to remind you all to always dive within the limits of your training and experience and always follow the advice of your instructors and dive masters. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for formal dive instruction. We are thrilled to have this space to share our stories and experiences and thankful we get to share them with you. Stay safe out there and have fun. Dive 10. We made it. Welcome to Dive 10, everyone. This is so exciting. We are so stoked that we have gotten to this milestone. It is. It feels like a milestone for us. Milestone. Mile, oh, ooh, I see what you did <laughs> that was there. Lame. I like it. That was I like so it. lame. <laughs> I like it. Um, you, know, you know I like the puns. Um, I think so I still have nitrogen on my system. You might be a little... I'm still off-gassing a little you're bit, little, guys. You're a little narked. Miles went diving today with well, a private. Well, I'm definitely... I'm not narked. I mean, we didn't go that deep. But I, I'm still off-gassing for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, to celebrate our 10th episode, we have a great one for you guys. It is Shark Week. So, we have an interview with uh, Alex and Tamara from Fins Attached. And before we get into that, we got a couple of things we want to talk about first. The first one being that Miles and I finally taught a class together as instructors. I had a section, Miles had a section, and we realized that as good friends as we are, as much as we get along, we have very different dive teaching styles. Yeah, and like as much as we talk about diving together, and we have for over a year, when we finally got in the class together, it was like, oh, Jake does things so much differently than I do, and I don't think he realized that I did things the way no, I did. I didn't. I either. didn't because we agree on so much, like yeah. the, about the philosophy of diving. Yeah. That I assumed like watching you teach a class, it would be like someone watching me teach a class. Like it would be, we would do the same things, we would say the same things. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know why I thought that because obviously <laughs> we were trained by different people. We yeah. have di- we come from different dive backgrounds. Yeah. But. It was so interesting to me because at one point I even said, I was like, why did you do that? Like, I, it just, it didn't even occur to me that you could do, I don't remember what it was, but you could do these skills in this order in this way mm-hmm. um, and stack them up the way you did. And it was a very, it was sort of an eye-opening moment for me that maybe I don't know everything because obviously I do know everything because I'm amazing. All right. Well, <laughs> on that note, Jake also just got his instructor and yeah. so and, and it, was a, he, it was a learning moment for me he was a dive master for much longer than i was a dive master so i think you got so much more interaction with like a lot of different teaching styles and you got to yeah. build up like this like exact particular way that you want to do things based off of that 100 percent and you know i didn't dm for that long and i also learned in a pretty like small community like obviously now i'm in a big community and i learn a lot of things from all the californian divers that i'm around but initially when i learned it was really from one person and so i take you know most of the stuff i do and i think my core teaching style comes from him and yeah and also like you know i think it might like core being both of my parents are teachers and uh, so I yeah, grew okay. up watching a kindergarten teacher and a college professor teach yeah. my entire life and so I think my actual like instruction 
and when I'm giving instructions and when I'm giving roles and when I'm like asking questions to students, a lot of that. Oh, you sounded like out. a teacher. You sounded <laughs> like a, like a middle school and elementary school teacher. It was it was wild. We I jumped in to help out your class because mine was moving a little faster. I had half the number of students that you did. Mm -hmm. And um, I jumped in, and the, the amount of control that you exercise over your class versus the amount of control that I try to exercise over mine was just so different. And I was like, wait, hang on. Like, I guess it's, it's – again, it's just different styles. It's like you, you want to see certain things out of your students that I put less emphasis on, but I'm sure there's things where I put more emphasis on them than, than you do. Yeah. I so think I'm very – I, I put a lot of emphasis on hands-off teaching. And that's one of the things that you got to see because yeah. you came in yeah. and helped with equipment remove and replace underwater. underwater yeah. And I made it very clear to all the instructors that were helping me. Very I said, clear. When all of you guys are watching this, hands off completely. And I was like, it was kind of funny because I was signaling this underwater because I forgot to go over it on the surface. Yeah. And as so she that was, was kind of funny. As you were signaling it, you didn't have your buoyancy quite dialed in and you were slowly rising the whole well, no, because time. it was the end. Because it was the end and so my tank was like you were basically rising. because my tank was basically empty. And I'm watching you do these furious hand signals at us, but all I can do is laugh because you're just slowly rising away from me. No, that was funny. But... Um, because and, and you're right, I am a very hands-on instructor. I think this is a conversation that we're gonna have to keep having because obviously it's a learning moment for me but I think it does speak to some of the differences in teaching philosophies that you and I have that we've never really gotten to explore because we've never seen each other teach yeah so uh, I think so. like just with my students when you came over yeah I already kind of knew you're thinking about it and I knew like at least one of the other persons thinking about it and so that's why I was very clear yeah. like if you're coming into my class I would really like you to adopt this philosophy yeah. and sit back. So, like, I tried to make a symbol and telling you guys to fold you your did. fold your arms. We we all understood immediately back. what you were asking for. <laughs> and it's hard. It's hard sometimes, it especially is. with the kids. Like, you really want to help, yeah. but it's so much more helpful in the end to be hands off. Yeah, and and uh, you know I. It, it's definitely given me some food for thought, and this has been a learning moment brought to you by Miles, <laughs> and Miles' varied experiences in teaching and... In, varied. In, uh, not very. Va not very. No, varied. So, varied. So, varied so a lot to learn. <laughs> Multifaceted experiences yeah. in diving Yeah. That, uh, that, that I just haven't had because I've been working with the same... You know, I've been working with a lot of instructors, like you said, but in the same environment. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, so maybe, maybe there's something for me to learn there. Well, moving on. Moving into things we can learn and things we can teach. <laughs> but what are we talking about next? <laughs> what are we talking about next? It's the thing that's right in front of you. Oh, we're it's, going we're into this. Okay, we're, we're starting. Doing, okay, we're, good. We, as you guys saw from our Instagram uh, stories and, and posts the last few days, we are talking about myths and misconceptions about diving. We've done 10 of these. It's about time we, we, we set some records straight. So Miles, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be able to set any records straight. What if we I don't, can talk about But them. what if I don't know? Well, that's why there's two of us. Oh. So, you think, what if we both don't know? 
then we'll throw it to the audience. I don't know. We'll okay. have to make. We'll, 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 we'll have to like. We'll okay. have to play this by ear. But we should know the answers. Okay. And I have a cheat sheet right here. Okay. Oh, um, you have a cheat sheet. Okay. Of course I do. It's right there. Um, okay. Because I, I I had a feeling one of us might not. This know. cheat sheet so, comes to you from, from the Patty, Patty blog. Patty blog. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you, thank you, Patty. You're welcome. Um, so okay. I want to. I have. First. I put a bunch of the myths that you guys sent in and that I that I that we had talked about and that I found on these little cards, and then we can each pick one, read it out, and then talk about it. I'm gonna choose first. All right, go for it. Okay, can I say something funny? Yes. First, my student today, we're swimming out, and he was being very fidgety, and I was like, are you okay? And he goes, I don't know, I just feel like if I do anything wrong, I'm gonna explode down there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna explode. Okay, first dive myth off the bat, you won't explode. This is not a submersible. I just think that was like a perfect thing to bring up. <laughs> this is not a submersible at 10,000 feet under the sea. This is, there is no danger of exploding. Yeah. Uh, in, in diving. You, your body will not go poof. Especially the 20 feet. Especially that we were 20 at. feet of water. <laughs> I know. It was so cute though. He's adorable. But yeah. That's very funny. So that's He's our first one. 15? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so you fair won't enough. explode. Yeah. There's a little, little imagination going I know. on there. Yeah. It was that's cute. very funny. All right. Okay. What do you got? So, you have to be an excellent swimmer to be certified. That's a great one. Yeah. That's a great one, yeah. So, I don't know how many of you have watched divers actually diving, if you're not already a diver, but you'll notice that we never use our hands. There's not, it's not a typical swimming motion. Right. It's your legs more than anything else. Yeah, you have to be somewhat comfortable in water and you have to be able to to swim, right? You have to know how to swim and know how to move your body in water. Mm -hmm. But you definitely don't have to be Michael Phelps by any means. I mean, we, we dive with people all the time that they're not the best swimmers, but they're fantastic divers. We also don't swim very fast when we're diving, so you don't have to be quick at it. No, you don't swim you fast. Just, you... Like unless there's an emergency situation, and it, the same goes for on the surface, like actually yeah. having to swim. Unless it's an emergency situation, you will hardly ever ever use any kind of like fast swimming. Motion. And, and even in a, even in an emergency situation, I don't always recommend swimming fast because yeah. you could become tired, and then you become part of the emergency. So. Yep. In, in, in almost every situation I can think of, being a, a, a competent swimmer is what's needed. Yeah. Being an excellent swimmer, no, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. You, did, you didn't have to swim for a varsity club or swim in college or something like that to be able to go diving. No. I think that's a good, that's a good myth to start out on. Okay. Let me grab sure. one. You can't dive if you get claustrophobic. Oof, this one is actually tough. So I wouldn't say you can't, but I do think it makes it more difficult and it's something that you have to work past in your open water scuba class. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's something that a lot of students are worried about at first. They're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not a big fan of getting into elevators or getting into small spaces, um, but the way at least we structure our classes and the way most classes are structured, you start in a pool and the pool that we have access to through our shop, uh, it's a big pool, which means that you're not, you know, 10 feet in front of you, you're not seeing the far wall, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's 40 or 50, 60, even 80 feet of, of, of open pool in front of you. 
um, to kind of give you that open, expansive feeling that you'll get uh, when you go to the ocean. So I know a lot of students have worked through claustrophobia issues or, or thoughts in those first couple of d days in the pool. And then by the time we get to the ocean, they're, they're ready to go. Um, and I don't even know if it's the pool size that makes a difference. With like the claustrophobia, I think it's more so having something in your mouth and having so much equipment on that causes the claustrophobia. Mm. I don't know if it's the pool because there are people who think like that the ocean is going to be claustrophobic for them. Mm. And so I think it's more so, I mean, anybody else like from the audience, like jump in here and tell us how you actually feel about it. If you got this claustrophobia feeling, yeah. cause I've never gotten it. But just from what I've talked about with students, it seems more like it's the water around them and having the regulator in their mouth. Hmm than anything the else. regulator surprises me the water doesn't and i'll i'll say the other things that wouldn't surprise me would be the hoods yeah. that we wear in, yeah. in california yeah um those i mean even i feel a little bit compressed when oh, i wear one my first time like yeah. here diving here i was not happy wearing the hood yeah. <laughs> so it's it's something that a lot of divers work through but it's definitely not something that will prevent you from diving yeah Caution. i think yeah i think definitely yeah you can work through anything absolutely anything. Okay. How many got? of these are we doing? There's so uh, many. We got 13. Here. Are we doing all of them? We don't have to do all of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. You have to dive deep to see anything good. Well, that is a straight up myth. Yeah, like, that's, that's just not sure. sure. I mean, I'm thinking about the marine room yeah. immediately. It's a, it's a dive that doesn't exceed 20 feet in depth. Uh, I did it, what, a week ago? But it's, and I mean, the most of the dive is at like seven feet. Well, it depends on where you go. But yeah, it's somewhere yeah. between 7 and call it 7 and 17 feet. You can see three, four different species of shark yeah. on the dive if yeah. you're lucky. I mean, you get crabs, you get fish, it's all sorts leopard of Leopard shark, stuff. horn shark, um, taupe lately sharks. taupe sharks, and you can possibly see a seven-gill. Seven yeah, so there's, there's absolutely dives. I did a dive in Palau. We sat in four feet of water and we waited at sunset for the mandarin fish to come out. Mm. If you ever get the opportunity, first off, if you ever get the opportunity to go to Palau, uh, I mentioned this during the scuba You're show episode <laughs> uh, where I saw the dive operator that I worked with in Palau. Go to Palau, it's incredible. It's unlike anything you'll ever see. Um, I'm sorry, I wasn't in Palau, I was in Yap, oh. which is near Palau. Yeah. But it was the same trip and I just yeah. sort of, it, yeah. I, it kind of my, memory, my memory blends together, it was 10 years ago. Um, so we were in seven feet of water, uh, sitting, waiting at dusk for the mandarin fish to come out. And mandarin fish are about the size of your thumb. They're tiny, but they are brightly colored and beautiful and very fun. And they look like they belong in, you know, a fancy aquarium. Um, but we did that entire dive in four to seven yeah. feet of water. So absolutely the most light and the most bright colors you're going to see are above 60 feet. 60, you know, 40 to yep. 30 feet even. Yep. That's where you're going to see the most bright colors, the best, the, the brightest reefs and, and the brightest fish. So you absolutely don't need to go deep to see, uh, to see cool things. Yep. Ooh. Scuba tanks are full of pure oxygen. Oh, oh man. Well, <laughs> you would be dead. Yeah. They're, so. No, no, they're not. 
we would be very much no. dead. It's funny when like students come into class on the yeah. first day and they're like, how much how much oxygen should I have? Oh, yeah. sorry, my, I definitely had a lisp. But how much oxygen should I have? Yeah. I got my oxygen tanks right here. I'm like, no, those are air tanks. <laughs> We've got normal room air in them. Uh, sometimes we'll dive nitrox or um, yeah. What it was? What's the other uh, not enhanced? Um, the other name for nitrox? I can't enriched air. Mm -hmm. um, thirty to thirty-two, thirty-three percent, mm -hmm. uh, which has a little bit more oxygen than than uh, room air does. But no, we never we never breathe one hundred percent oxygen when we're under the yeah, water. Yeah, you would get oxygen toxicity. Yeah, and... it would actually be be really bad for you. Yep. So that doesn't happen. Yeah. And like right now, are we breathing 100% oxygen? No, it's 21. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> Wait, did you have to? Well, She's I definitely know. still off gassing. Guys. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cut that out. Cut that no, out. No, we're keeping that in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Caleb's going to be so disappointed in me. <laughs> As a scientist, he would be so disappointed. Sorry, producer Caleb. <laughs> okay. You have to sign up for the scuba class with a buddy. Definitely not. No. I've met some great people through the classes that I've taken. Um, I don't think I took any of my scuba classes. No, I did my open water. I did with my brother. Mm -hmm. So after my open water, I didn't sign up with a buddy for any of my other classes. Yeah. I did my open water with my mom and then everything else I did all on my own. Like literally everything else. I did yeah. everything up into my instructor by myself. And so, how many awesome people. Like, and I've meet. met yeah. so many awesome people, like, coming in and out of the instructor program while I was going through it, and, like, coming in and out of the DM program when I was in it. Yeah. And then also just now, like, being an instructor, I came to the shop that I'm at by myself, and, you know, I met Jake, and I met all the awesome people that I work with, so... And look what look what look what happened to you now. Now you're making a podcast. I know. And pulling sticky notes off a table. <laughs> All yeah. right, we'll do two more. I'll pull okay. one, and then you'll pull the last one. Okay. I'll grab this one. Diving is too expensive. This is this is an interesting one because obviously diving can <laughs> be super expensive. I don't know if that's a myth. <laughs> well, well, as in as in. I think the point of this one was not that diving is the cheapest possible form of recreation. Obviously, I can strap on some running shoes and go, and that's free. Yeah. Well, after I buy the running shoes. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, you know, as in there are other hobbies that are sim similar in cost. For and sure. Actually, um, I was no, looking this one up because this was someone, uh, someone sent this in. And I think they might have sent it in as a joke, but I looked it up because I was curious. And Patty actually uh, had had something on it, and they basically said the 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 open water course um, costs about the same as, and I've got the list here, uh, about a weekend of rock climbing lessons, a weekend of kayaking, a weekend of fly fishing, three hours of private golf lessons, yep. uh, three hours of private uh, the water. This is this one's weird. Three hours of private water skiing lessons. I don't know who wrote these, but I don't know who my wrote them either. My immediate reaction is like snow, like snowboarding. Oh or skiing. yeah, I mean snowboarding, ski trips. I mean ski trips. You like. Yeah. We live in Southern California. Obviously, there are other dive destinations that people think of ahead of Southern California. Yeah. But we don't have to travel to go diving. Yeah. You, we do have to travel to go skiing. Yeah. And you have to buy lift tickets, and you have to rent gear, and you have to buy all the cold weather gear. Um, and I can tell you, renting skis, boots, poles, 
yeah. cold weather garments, the helmets, all that lot. is way more than renting renting scuba gear. Yep. Uh, or for private yoga lessons. So, I mean, putting it in context, it's not really that much more expensive. What does get expensive is when we go on all these wild and amazing trips and we spend a lot of money to upgrade those trips. But it doesn't have to be like that. You know, no, like we, I taught so many people in Costa Rica that would also kind of work their way up the chain too. I mean, they would do a little work for us. Maybe they were a boat captain mm. and like, part of what we paid them would also go toward like getting more certifications when they weren't captaining or like they would help us out with other things around the shop and we would in turn like help teach them scuba diving and you know they would borrow some of the rental gear and stuff so there are definitely ways for you to become a diver if that's if you want to do it you can do it and find a way to work through that yeah yeah absolutely Absolutely. Miles, last one. Okay. <laughs> what do you got? What do you got? Is, okay, so to just like preference this, this is one that I actually looked up when I became a baby diver and like the first time <laughs> this happened to me. Okay. okay. You can't dive on your period because sharks will smell the blood and they'll attack you. I never dive on my period. <laughs> You don't? No, it's I don't time of rest. It's a time of rest for you? Yes, it is. Oh, yeah. I bet. <laughs> yeah. You just, you're one of those, like, um, like hibernation people? Y- yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> I'm not even sure what you're referring to anymore. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. Please continue. <laughs> Women will get it. Okay. So. Obviously, this is definitely a myth. Um, sharks don't want humans and they don't want human blood at all that would not trigger a shark whatsoever um the one thing i would say that your period does change but it's also just like your body changing in general is that your period slightly like ever so slightly might change your weight composition like maybe by a pound or two would you have to add a pound of weight or subtract a pound of weight? I, yeah, so I, I just know that, like, you take on a little bit of, like, water weight. Hmm. And you're just, like, I know, like, for myself, I'm a couple pounds heavier that week. Oh. And so you'd maybe add on a pound because it's water weight, right? So would you, it could change your it's weight It's just the bloating. Hmm. Yeah, so hypothetically hmm. it could if you blow like but you're not gonna get attacked by a shark just because you're you're not gonna get attacked by a shark like your period might change a couple things and you do want to be just like sensitive to it and not go on anything like you know doing anything like crazy but that's just like normal exertion like when you're on your period so okay it doesn't need to turn into a health thing (laughs) well you know i'm always trying to learn things um that's actually a perfect segue because coming up we have the interview with Alex and Tamara from Fins Attached. Oh, I, yeah. I think you guys are really going to like this one. We got a little in the weeds on shark conservation. We got a little in the weeds on some of the stuff that Miles, you've seen on uh, on some of the trips you've been on. Mm-hmm. We talked about uh, some products to stay away from. There's There'll be some links in the uh, description foods of the podcast. Uh, yeah, foods, uh, specifically pet foods, right, to yeah. stay away from. And uh, some... some um, uh, cosmetic additives mm-hmm. ingredients to stay away from so um enjoy the interview and we'll talk to you guys afterwards
so we now welcome on a couple of very special guests. We have uh, Tamara Glover and Alex Antonio, Dr. Alex Antonio, right? Of course, uh, yes. Don't from, forget. <laughs> from Fits Attached. Uh, it's so great to have you guys on. Welcome to Free Descent. We're so happy to have you. Uh, Tamara, it's great to see you again. Um, I think we, we met in uh, Scuba Show. Yep. Long Beach. In Long Beach, yeah. And uh, so why don't you guys, we'll, I'll hand the mic over to you guys. We can start with sort of what what is Fins Attached and, and what do you guys do? Well, I um, this is Alex Antonio, and I started Fins Attached in 2010, although I'd been involved in the whole shark research, ocean conservation realm uh, way before I started Fins Attached. I used to volunteer for another nonprofit in New Jersey called uh, the Shark Research Institute. But then a day job took me to Colorado, I separated from them. And then in 2010, I started Fins Attached because, you know, my passion was never quelled. It was always uh, burning to make a difference, to do something. You know, when you read about what's going on with our oceans and sharks, especially, it just Oh, it's just so disheartening and disgusting in some instances. Uh, so Fins Attached, the mission is to uh, conduct research, promote conservation, you know, provide education for the uh, protection of a marine environment. And it starts with the sharks, the apex predator, and everything kind of like flows down from there. Uh, so sharks are the most important piece to the puzzle of the oceans, and we're beginning to see dramatic changes in our ocean in areas where the shark populations have been significantly depleted you know reefs are not as healthy when the sharks are taken away and the ocean just starts to die so that's what we do so we're out there in the field we're not just here in the office sending out emails telling people what to do how to help we actually uh, are out in the field and i just came back from a expedition to cocos island costa rica where, where we also conduct our new turtle um, nesting beach project uh, at Isla Damas in on the Pacific coast of Costa Rica, where it's a beach where green turtles, but mostly olive ridley turtles crawl up to uh, lay their eggs. So we're working with a local guy there to try to rescue as many eggs as possible from the beach. Um, unfortunately, even, even though turtles are protected in Costa Rica, there's still a lot of poaching going on and the government knows it goes on, but they don't do anything about it. So that's kind of like uh, fins attached. As I say, I, I started in, you know, 30 years ago with whale sharks. Then I expanded to hammerhead sharks and then great whites and lots of other different shark species. And here we are today in 2023. And now you're even expanding into things with more fins like turtles. We are the turtles. I guess are they technically flippers. They're not fins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I didn't do so well in science class. Um, so with the with the conservation in Costa Rica, have you ever worked with a company? So they, I lived kind of with them in the same bay area in Golfito. Have you heard of Pete Buthane? I have heard of Pete Buthane, but I'm not working with him. He, Oh, okay. Yeah, I just didn't know because they were in Costa Rica at the same time I was in Costa Rica, and they were doing some poaching projects there. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, I know a lot of uh, other groups in Costa Rica, obviously, 
Mm -hmm. uh, there's Mission Tiburon that does a lot of uh, shark work in Costa Rica. Uh, we just they might have been they might have been more land based when I was there and doing possibly. more like land based poaching projects. And uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Costa Rica, mm -hmm. unfortunately, you know the saying in Costa Rica is that we may be green, and that's questionable as well. But they're certainly mm -hmm. not blue. They really lag in in ocean conservation, but uh, they're getting better. They they did uh, expand the marine protected area around Cocos Island at the end of 2021. Yeah, it I went saw from, that. Yeah, it went from 2,000 square kilometers to a massive, almost 55,000 square kilometers of a marine protected area. So so that was a good step in the right direction, but there's still a lot more to, uh, to do in, in Costa Rica. So you mentioned going far afield. I know, Alex, uh, you just came back from Costa Rica, but Tamara, you were also traveling. You went to a show in Tampa. Uh, yeah. You mentioned when we were trying to schedule this interview that you'd be out for a few days. What was that? What was that show about? How was it? So that was SharkCon. Um, I believe this is the ninth year they've put it on. Um, Alex, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we've been involved from day one or at least the second or third year. Um, used to be a lot of shark yeah, conservation yeah. groups. I don't think we've been to all of them, but certainly most of them. Yeah. Used to be a lot of shark conservation groups went to SharkCon. Um, a lot of them have dropped off, which makes it even more important for us to be there. Um, the past three years, we've been the only shark conservation group going there. So it's really important for us to be there because SharkCon is like Comic-Con. It's all things sharks. Um, people want to buy shark stuff. I mean, they usually have the Megalodon monster truck there, a big shark slide, the big Megalodon um, jaw that people can take pictures in front of. Um, they usually invite the guests that are from like Jaws 3D was the one this year. So it was Leah Thompson and uh, Louis, Louis Gossett Jr. They've had the cast from Sharknado there in the past. Um, so we just feel like it's really important for us to be there to tell people hey you love sharks do you know how important they are and that they're not scary and you know we try and pull people into the conservation and the research side of it so that may be a great place to jump into how important are sharks i mean we you know we hear all the time sharks are super important i mean are there like can you could you give us some examples of what happens if there are no sharks in a certain area do you want to take this one alex Tamara, you want to take that one <laughs> <laughs> sure <laughs> well, I was going to start by saying, you know, it's like any apex predator in any environment, right? That's the the species that keeps all the other subpopulations in check and the ebbs and flow of populations rising and declining, right? So when you take the apex predators out, the the prey that they usually prey on will start to explode in population size. And when that uh, happens, then what they prey on that population below them will start to dramatically decline. And so you get that domino effect going down, down the food chain. So, and, and just in, in general, you know, nat nature, I, I don't know why man thinks they know better than nature <laughs> and how things should be uh, in reality and how things should be balanced. I mean, it's a delicate balance, right? And these animals have their role to play animals in general however how small or large they have their role to play in, in the ecosystem that they live in right so when we start to disrupt 
those some populations in that ecosystem, then the balance completely gets thrown off, right? So, uh, and and things start to die. Things start to die that shouldn't. So it's uh, it's critical, you know, for us. I mean, in North America, you know, you can cite what we've done to the land apex predators in North America, right? I mean, we've taken out the wolves, we've taken out the mountain lions, and guess what population has exploded and is destroying people's backyards? Deer. <laughs> deer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so oh. you know, those dang deer, I can't grow any vegetables because of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tamara, you were walking around the show and, and Alex, as, as you walk through these these conventions and, and some of the present presentations you do, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that people have about sharks that you spend a lot of time having to fix or remedy, you know, kind of, kind of remediate these these misconceptions so that you can move forward with, with, with the conservation work? Oh, so much of it is, you know, sharks are just going to, they're just going to bite me. They're going to kill me. And, you know, I was at an outdoor concert last night where it was lightning and there was a bigger chance of being struck by lightning than being, you know, harmed by a shark at all. Um, we call them shark incidences. And the thing is, is when you're not being a safe swimmer in the ocean, I mean, you are in their environment. If you're swimming where the water is murky, where someone, you know, a shark can't ascertain what you are or if uh, you're swimming where people are fishing or chumming, um, the mouths of rivers, you know, that's not a good place to go swimming. I mean, um, bull sharks like to go in and out of those aqueducts, you know? So one of the things I like to tell people is, I know two people who have had an incident with a great white shark, a midsection incident with a great white shark, and both of them survived. Because the minute those teeth went into those people, that shark knew exactly that was not what I wanted and let them go. Both of them survived. Both of them understand that they were in situations they should not have been in. One of them had um, a bait bag. He was a spear fisherman. He had a bait bag right on his hip. And that's what the shark went through. Um, you know, the truth of the matter is we are bony. We probably don't taste good because we put a lot of chemicals in our body. Sharks want tuna. They want fatty seals. You know, tiger sharks want turtles. We are not on their menu. We are not. And I like to tell people when they say, I don't want, I, I want, I want to go diving, but I don't want to go if there's sharks in the water. And I'm like, I would be afraid of going diving if there weren't sharks in the water, because that's the sign of a healthy ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people ask us all the time, um, you know, why aren't you afraid, more afraid of sharks? And and to me, you know, we've both dove with sharks in Costa Rica and, and other places. In California, I California, with, I dove California. I dove with sharks on Sunday. Oh yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. I mean, we dive with we're in we're in Southern California, so it's horn sharks and and seven gills, um, and leopard and, sharks and leopard sharks right now. And, and yeah, right. That's right. Favorite. It is leopard, leopard <laughs> sharks. So oh, where did you see the seven gills? Uh, the seven gills are in the kelp beds usually, so in La Jolla and then Point Loma. So yeah, we've both seen one. Uh, actually, we saw it together in Point Loma, and it was awesome. It was our first it dive was, ever together. Awesome. Uh, oh, about really? a year ago, we saw we saw seven gill for the first time. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, nice. it was both of our 
first seven gill and it was yeah. it was so cool nice. it, was, it moved so fast because then we came up and no one believed us because we were the only ones on the boat that saw it <laughs> and jake did not get it because it was so fast no yeah. one believed us but it did happen i swear it happened <laughs> and i didn't truly believe it at first because when i think of seven gills i think they move a lot slower so I wasn't ready for how quickly it, it was able to uh, identify me as something it didn't want to be near and then turn it. And it turn was tail. actually interesting. So it came like speeding by us. And then probably 30 seconds later, a seal came speeding by us underwater. <laughs> I mean, we're like in 40 feet at like the edge of the kelp bed. And it was mm -hmm. weird seeing the seal coming behind the seven gill. I don't <laughs> know what that was about, but yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have... we. Those yeah. are our those are our shark interactions when we're out here, and people say, "Oh, you know, why are you afraid to dive with sharks?" I said, "These sharks aren't interested in us. Nope. I mean, yeah. horn sharks are are the cutest things, especially the little ones. They're adorable, and they're asleep, and they're most they're the mostly time. asleep most of the time, yeah. like, mainly." Well, at night. you know, just to and follow they're, up, they're, yeah. Sorry, just to follow up on what Tamara was saying, you know, this mass hysteria and, and knee jerk reaction and people have when they even just hear the word shark, you know, and, and I don't know if it's a primal like reaction that people have. And, you know, I, I hate to you know, say the jaws effect, everyone kind of uses that phrase so much, the jaws effect and what jaws did to the psyche of people when it comes to sharks. Right. But, you know, you cannot, you can always throw statistics at people, right? Last year there were, the fewest unprovoked, right? There's two types of shark incidents. There's a provoked one or there's an unprovoked one, you know, because humans are stupid. And so they'll put, <laughs> they'll, they'll get in the water and they'll do something that will provoke the shark to attack them, which is, I mean, asinine. I mean, I just don't understand that kind of mentality. Right? But there are some situations where it is an unprovoked attack and, you know, maybe it's a mistaken identity as Tamara was alluded to. Um, you know, but, you know, we've got to remember what shark, sharks don't have, you know, opposing thumbs and fingers to touch and feel and see what they have. They, they have their mouths. And even if it's a, an exploratory bite from a, a shark, a good sized shark, an exploratory bite could be quite dramatic. It'll still hurt. It'll so still hurt. Yeah. I have, I have a small like detail question specific. How do you guys deal or like what's the current status of the chumming issue in the Caribbean? Because I've seen it in Mexico and I've also seen it in Belize. And I just want to know your opinion on that. What do you mean chumming? I'm not, chumming, I'm not familiar with So that. chumming the water yeah, before right. a scuba dive. Oh, before a dive. Yeah, it happens a lot. Well, I've never heard of this. Yeah, so I've been on a dive where they chum the water before we got in. And like, where was obviously, that, uh... it was in Belize. And oh, so I just wow. didn't know if you guys like had any opinions on it. Is that something that you guys work with or work on or? Yeah, it is a controversial topic for sure. And, you know, it's been controversial in more than just the Caribbean or it's been controversial off the coast of Florida. It's controversial in New Zealand with the great white cage diving they do. It's controversial in Australia you know, and it was controversial off the uh, California coast and Guadalupe Island with the great white sharks mm -hmm, there. Uh, there used to be divers going there, but not anymore. The Mexican government put a stop to that. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want to, I, I, how do I say this delicately? Uh, 
I think that there's, if it can be controlled in such a way that it's manageable and it's not just a free-for-all, chumming, I don't know why they would chum in Belize. I mean, in the Bahamas, for example, they use chunks of fish. They're not really chumming the waters before the divers go in, you know, but when their divers are in, the sharks kind of are conditioned and they'll feed them on the end of a, of a pole or whatever. They'll have a piece of fish and the shark will come by and, and take it. I mean, they do that in, in off New Providence. Uh, it was on, for a, it was for a dive and it was really just nurse sharks because it was super shallow. And so nurse sharks are the only things that came up, but I mean, it was like chumming for nurse sharks. Really? That's so weird. That just seems yep. yeah. like a waste. Of it, it was no. And like, obviously we had just <laughs> gotten like our, we had just gotten our dive certifications. And so, you know, in the dive cert, you learn about like, what's good, what's bad, like, you know, conservation things. And like one of our first dives out, they chum the water and I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure this is like, not okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's and, really weird. I've never heard. I've never heard of chumming for nurse sharks. That's for sure. Me either. Yeah, it was um, strange. And the, where we go for our work, you know, where we go, like Cocos Island or uh, Socorro Island, um, as divers refer to them, of the south of Cabo, the islands down there, uh, you know, where we see a lot of sharks, and we don't have to chum bait or do anything because that's their natural habitat, and oh, we know yeah, where the sharks Cocos are. For sure. You know, so <laughs> it's. Uh, really bizarre that they would be doing that but, yeah but you know here's the thing um on one side it's controversial and people criticize it because it conditions the sharks to come to people and and it and it could lead to more shark attacks but this, the data doesn't prove that right there's no there's no hasn't been an increase in the number of shark attacks um significantly in fact last year it went down right uh so we'll see what it is this year so if, in my mind um, it cre does create a value for the sharks as a living thing, right? Because you divers will want to come back and dive with the sharks and see the sharks. So it creates a value for them as living. And, you know, but perhaps if we, if they didn't do that and there wasn't such a looming shark tourism operation dive that brings revenue to the islands, the country, wherever it is, then maybe a government would not be so keen to protect the sharks, Right, because you know, dead shark brings money. Uh, at least, even if it's short term, if the if they're not getting any money from tourism, but a it, tourism, it, the argument is well, it's not an argument, but you can prove that dive ecotourism is a renewable revenue stream for them. Um, whereas dead sharks eventually will all disappear, and then they'll have nothing. Yeah, so my. My big question on it and something I've always thought about is like, what happens when that dive shop goes out of business and they stop chumming the water? What happens to the sharks then because their diet has been disrupted? Well, that's only if during the shark feeds, they're filling all of those sharks that are there stuffed full that they're not going to be hungry after the shark feeding dive, you know? I mean, they, what are they taking? A little bucket with a few fish heads and chunks of fish you know, it, it just keeps them around and curious, but it's certainly not going to satisfy their appetite. All those sharks, especially in the Caribbean, when you have like 50 Caribbean reef sharks swimming around in a shark feeding situation. So, so no, I mean, those sharks are still alive. They're not relying on that as their only, uh, 
diet source they they go in they're still going out and foraging and praying and hunting and you know so if the dive shop goes away or the, they're no longer being fed sharks are going to go about its business it's going to go about its business and and hunt and eat well that's good to know that's yeah. that's always a question that i had with it but obviously that's very insightful and obviously <laughs> so switching gears a little bit what are some of the biggest successes that you've seen lately? I know, I think it was last month, maybe the month before, uh, the UK government banned the import-export of shark fins, uh, which was a huge win for everybody, I think. But are there are there other wins that maybe we don't hear about that you get we can shed some light on? We can we can shine a spotlight where where the good is. Well, Tamara knows of one that happened at the end of uh, last year. I, I did a lot of work on getting that. Um, so there is now a shark fin ban um, bill that got passed for the U.S. And a lot of people don't know about it because it got That's bundled fantastic. up. I, I know. And it didn't get the fanfare that we were hoping for because it got bundled in with another bill. But the important thing is, is it got passed. Um, so that means going forward, you know, we have laws on the book, uh, books that will, you know, help protect sharks in the U.S., um, the largest consumer of shark fin soup in the U.S. was Las Vegas. Um, Nevada passed their shark fin bill back in 2019, I believe, maybe even sooner than that. So that's huge. Um, just a lot yep. of people don't know about it. But if anybody that's goes to fantastic. break the law. But now it's on the federal gonna, level. It's on the federal level. Yeah. Yeah. So all states now have to abide. No sale and possession of shark fins thanks to the shark fin sales elimination act that was signed Still by and possession so even ha- like being given one or, or just coming upon one as, mm-hmm. as fishermen well, tend to you do know, yes and here's here's the thing that's most significant for me with that bill it's not just about the consumption of shark fins in the u.s but the bill also stops the transit of shark fins through the u.s so a country let's say Costa Rica, which is still a huge shark fin exporting country, and Mexico, which is even worse than Costa Rica, they can no longer ship their shark fins through a port in the U.S. on their way to uh, Hong Kong or Taiwan or wherever they're going. So it it's puts a stop to the uh, any transit, which is more significant than the the consumption of fins in the U.S. Right, so um, that's, that's a huge. That's huge, that's especially it is with huge. the culture, the way that it is in that yep. part of Asia. So that that's huge. It now, is. fortunately, it is. No, um, that is a huge victory. Yeah, and fortunately, you know, with um, the younger generation in these Asian countries, they don't particularly like shark fin soup. They think it's disgusting. Um, so. You know, hopefully with this new generation of younger people, they're, you know, it's going to help phase out the tradition of, you know, participating in shark fin soup, which by the way, I don't know if either one of you know this, tastes like nothing. It literally has no taste. They flavor it Does with it really? chicken broth. It They flavor it with chicken broth. So people are paying $100 for a well, bowl yeah. of soup that's chicken broth and you've decimated a living creature that we vitally need for life on this planet. Yeah. Wow. I did not it's know ridiculous. that. That's... It's ridiculous. You know, um, that is ridiculous. That, that is frankly ridiculous. But beyond the fins, it's other uh, parts of, it's not just the fins that are driving sharks to extinction, right? It's everything else that people use shark ingredients in and, 
You know, one of our partners is the um, Rob Stewart Sharkwater Foundation in Canada. And and we partnered and we supported the campaign that they have, which is still ongoing, to eliminate the use of shark products in cosmetics. So, yeah. so you have oils and lotions and, and creams that, you know, women, mostly women, but I guess some men too will smear <laughs> cream on their face. And in some cases, you're, th- that cream could have shark liver oil as one of the ingredients as an emulsifier. So you're smearing endangered animals on your face, basically. So, so there's a lot of cosmetic companies that have signed on to eliminate the use of shark ingredients in any of the any of their cosmetic uh, products. So that's another uh, big. Wow, that's uh, a that's a huge win too, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm gonna go and, home and check all my products. <laughs> so and then if you're pet if you're pet lovers and you have pets, you 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 also have to be conscientious at the pet food you buy because there are a lot of pet foods that have shark ingredients in them. Wow. Miles, Miles, check your cat food. I'm going to check Miles, all check my products when I get home. Especially if they say it's okay, ocean fish. Especially if they say it's ocean fish or white fish, it's most likely shark. Yeah, we're we're a seafood white free fish family. Shark now? White fish and ocean fish oh are traditionally, that's usually how they sell shark mascot by just calling it ocean fish or white fish. Um, but Miles, you were talking about going home and checking wow. your beauty products. So it's squalene versus squalene, squalene. Squalene is a plant derivative and okay. you're actually less likely to have an allergic reaction. Um, it's better for your skin, but squalene is shark Ooh. liver oil. Yeah, let me just say, you know, <clears throat> here's the struggle we always face when it comes to convincing people that sharks need to be saved right and it's you know because sharks are not the cuddly dolphins they're not the you know beautiful whales and as they their tail comes out of the water and so majestic and you know but sharks are majestic to me whenever i dive with them but you know people have this negative you know mentality towards sharks so it's it's even it's more of a struggle to get people to contribute to shark conservation efforts and campaigns so so the challenge that we face and not just fins attached but all the ngos non-profit non-governmental organizations is to get people to love the ocean love sharks and then ultimately to protect what they love right so getting more people on board to be passionate about sharks and where we're having tremendous success with that is at the youth level and we're getting ready to launch a youth ambassador program with fins attached to get the youth involved, to become our leaders for the future uh, when it comes to ocean conservation and our case, shark conservation as well. So getting the message to the masses and getting convincing people that sharks are worthy of being protected. They're not these, you know, vile, vicious, that they'll bite every toe that creeps into the ocean. So... How can Miles and myself as, as dive instructors and, and our listeners who are also some of our instructors, some are divers, some are friends of divers, some are our friends, how can all of us be more involved and be more conscious of what we can do to promote shark conservation and, and, and support shark conservation work? You can be a mindful 
consumer, you know, checking your labels, you know, um, if you're buying something that says ocean fish, white fish, what is it really, you know, uh, choosing products that have squalene over squalene. Um, the other thing is education. Um, I tell you what, I can talk about sharks in any situation. Um, every doctor's office I go into, I can turn a conversation into sharks. And so, you know, educating people and letting them know that they're not scary creatures, that they're very important to this planet. And one of the things we do, and it's kind of unique to our organization, is um, oftentimes when we send a research team out, they don't fill up all the spots on the boat. So why send out a half-empty boat? We allow divers to come on trips with us. You can be a citizen scientist, and you can get a little bit of hands-on. Yeah, there you go. There you go. This has been my dream for so long. <laughs> um, and that can be a number of things. It can be helping us tag sharks. It can be helping us get DNA samples. Um, Alex, I believe one time we had a veterinarian on one of our trips, and uh, we used those uh, suturing skills when we were implanting um, tags into uh, juvenile sharks. And the other thing, you know, sometimes it's just counting sharks. I mean, literally, you know, you go down, you're counting sharks to see how the populations are doing and things like that. Um, yeah, th that's very important. And the other thing is, is you get to see these amazing creatures close up. Um, I can't tell you how many amazing encounters I have had with sharks, close up encounters that have been nothing but magical <laughs> i can pretty much echo that every every interaction i've ever had with a shark has been pretty awesome so yeah, yeah um, i've had i've had people come on trips and the beginning of the trip they're like somewhat nervous and you know quiet and because they know that you know where we go there's there's more chance of seeing sharks whenever we go on because we pick these locations because of the sharks and then, but by the end of the trip, I mean, they're just so calm and comfortable. It's just a, an about face kind of uh, uh, behavior from these people. Nervous at the beginning, but, you know, can't wait to get back in the water by the end of the trip. That's like a lot of things in diving, which is which is awesome. Yep. That's, that's great yep. to hear that. So we'll wrap up with this. Tamara, you can turn any conversation into a conversation about sharks. And, and Alex, you've, you've dedicated years and years and years, you both have dedicated years and years and years of your lives to sharks. What's the day-to-day -day motivation to keep going? What, I mean, what gets you up in the morning? Um, so, you know, 10 years ago when I got involved with Fins Attached, I was surfing channels on a Saturday afternoon, caught a documentary called uh, Gordon Ramsay's Shark Bait. Um, it's, it's a great one, but also shark water and shark water extinction are also very good, um, documentaries, but it was seeing a mature 12 foot hammerhead get pulled up on, on a boat from a long line where it probably fought for its life all night. And I, I'll, I'll get a little emotional talking about this cause I still do. Um, they took every fin off that shark, including its tail fin. And before they pushed it over, that shark bucked with that, that stump of a tail and they pushed the exact creature that is supposed to clean our oceans. They pushed it into the water where it's just going to sink to the bottom of the, of the sea and, and suffocate. I cried over that shark for three months and I was like, I have to do something. And when 
when I wake up in the morning, I think I'm doing this for every shark that I didn't see that happen to. Because the most important shark to me and my most favorite shark is a live one. Yeah, we shouldn't yeah. be afraid of a shark attacking us in the ocean. We should be afraid of no sharks in the ocean. That's what we really should be fearing. And, you know, that's very, I, I had the same reaction as Tamara when I saw whale sharks being slaughtered off the coast of India when I first started into this work. And off the west coast of India, there was a one of the biggest whale shark fishing uh, fisheries going on and big whale shark coming in, being hacked apart. And it's just, uh, just mind blowing to me. So when I started studying what was going on with sharks and the finning practice that Tamara was just uh, explaining to us, I just couldn't wrap my brain around this kind of behavior from humans that for, for vanity, for status, you know, they would destroy this incredible creature for fins, for a soup that they have to flavor with something else. And, and all, all the fin does is add texture to the soup, you know? So it, it was just, I couldn't fathom uh, that kind of mentality and wrap my brain around it. So I just felt compelled that I, I had to step in and, and try to do something. And I've always professed to the notion that we should all wake up every day thinking about something we can do that would make this place a better world for everyone and then leave this world a better place than the one we came into, right? So if we all had that kind of mentality, I think we'll be a lot better off today than we are, you know, because unfortunately humans, the, the, the ego, the selfishness, the money is, drive, is what's driving our world to destruction right now. And it's, it's, it's that mentality of let's discover something new Let's exploit it for as much money as we can, and then it will destroy it. You know, that's that's the mentality that that humans have, unfortunately. And and so, my my passion, you know, I've been doing it for almost thirty years, and it's not been for the money because I, I you know, for the most most of the time, I always had a day job to pay my bills. So it's not about the money; it's about making a difference and saving these creatures that means save you know I, the equation for me is save sharks save the oceans save us in that order and and it's just and when i interact with people like the the trip i just came back with it, you know and the interaction that i have with our guests on these expeditions i mean that just fuels my passion it feeds my passion and inspires me you know i like to think i inspire people but believe me i get inspired by other people that helps me keep going, you know, and Tamara is a classic example, you know, whenever I have a down day, I'm going to give Tamara a call because I know she's going to lift me up. You know? <laughs> so I'll call her and we'll chat. And I'll always feel better after I've chatted with, uh, with Tamara for a few minutes. And, and it's just, you know, what we have to do is we have to know that we're not in this fight alone. And that there are other people standing shoulder to shoulder with us, you know, ready to fight for what we know is the right thing. Well, you've got two more people standing shoulder to shoulder with you for sure. And, and we're going to, we're going to try and make that some more. Um, I think that's a fantastic place to end this, end this conversation. It, well, it's not the end. It's just a pause. And uh, <laughs> we'll definitely, if you guys are at DEMA, we'd love to uh, see you there. 
we'll be there. Uh, we'll be there. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Great. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you at DEMA then. Thank you guys so much again. This has been amazing. Hey, Miles. Well, thanks congratulations. for uh, thinking of us and we're, yeah. we're happy, to do, happy to do this. Miles, congratulations on... Be- be, congratulations on becoming an associate member of the Women's Dive Hall of Fame. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, my <laughs> great friend <laughs> he did that for me. So thank you. Yeah, I've been looking through the emails and just kind of looking at it and discovering more about like how I can get involved with it and yeah, just the different things that they offer. So I think that was one of the best interviews we've had, both in terms of content and just fun. Dude, that was, yeah, no, I loved talking to them, especially I didn't realize that Alex and I had been to so many of the yeah. same areas. You guys did, you guys like riffed on Costa Rica for a little bit. I know, I know. There. I wanted it to go on, but I didn't think everybody else wanted to hear me geek out like I always do. <laughs> I appreciate that because you talk about Costa Rica a lot and every time you talk about it, I just want to go to Costa Rica. Yeah. And I was trying to focus on the interview and not just daydream about dive trips. I, I want to go on. But, I know. Well, um, I want them to take me. I would love to get on that boat. On all of their oh research. Oh my gosh, so. I can't. I I cannot wait. Um, if you guys are interested in what we talked about, finding out more, um, we'll link to their research and to their videos as well yeah. as linking to some of the stuff um, that we talked about. And their dive trips and stuff. I mean, yeah, their talk- research and the dive trips are tied together. Yeah, they're, they're, but... very, they're very much intertwined. But um, we'll wrap up. We have one last myth that we want to wrap up with. Um, and that is that you have to be a certified diver to experience diving. And that's just not true right? No. We've both taught what are called discover scuba diving courses or or programs where instead of taking the entire class, where maybe if you're not sure about how you'll feel about the gear, maybe if you are worried about claustrophobia or you are worried about some other things, um, you can basically take a crash course in here's, here's the gear, here's what it does, here's your wetsuit, We'll, we'll put everything together and then you're basically guided through a dive in the pool and then potentially in the ocean as well with a dive master or instructor uh, basically hanging on to you the whole time to make sure make sure you're safe. Um, so you can experience what it's like to dive and what it's like to uh, be weightless underwater. Uh, and you don't have to be certified to do that. Yeah, no, I mean, I've taught multiple DSDs, and I think it's a great option for people, especially if they're a little bit timid and they don't know if it's going to be for them. Yeah. I think it's a really good option. And also, if you're just on vacation and it's something that you want to try out, but you just don't have the time, you don't want to spend your entire vacation doing something that you don't even know if you're going to like. Yeah, absolutely. This takes a morning, maybe. Uh Uh-huh, exactly. So I think DSTs are great, especially, you know, done safely. Absolutely. Yeah, and and again, you know, our recommendation is always find a Patty five-star dive dive resort or dive shop. That's always um, my recommendation. Or whatever the equivalent is in whatever whatever other certifying organization you're working with. Um, You know, our shop, it does them. I know there's a lot of shops uh, across the world that do them. That would be my caveat with the DSD is make sure that you're doing this DSD through a reputable dive shop. Don't, you know, don't just find someone that's off like random Craigslist. Like, I'll take you to dive. Yeah. Like, make sure you do your research. Look up the shop. Make sure that they actually are with like a reputable company 
and they are certified to do that for you. Absolutely. And with that, we'll wrap up. Uh, we have a great episode coming next week. We've got the founder and CEO and executive vice president of stream to see on the podcast talking about sustainable cosmetics. So we're really excited for that. Hope you guys will tune in and let us know what other dive myths we missed. I know there's a ton. I've got a list here of the stuff. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't even go over. All we didn't of have them. time to talk yeah. about all of them. Um, so let us know what we missed and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, I'm Jake. I'm Miles. This has been Free Descent. See ya.